Well, we're going to continue our study on worship, but as it happens, worship kind of coincides a little bit with Palm Sunday, and I'll show you how that happens in a moment. But now the Bible doesn't really describe or define worship for us. It tells you how it's been done and describes what happens when it's going on, but it doesn't define it for us. Now, there's a lot of accepted uh, definitions of worship, but one, worship, or one definition jumps out at me, and we're going to focus on this definition today. And the definition is this. Worship is the response of man when he encounters God or God's actions. Now, if you look through, through Scripture, every time there's worship, it's in response, either God showing up or something that God had done. People tend to worship when, when they sense the presence of God or they see or they are the recipient of what God is doing. I was talking with someone this morning who really senses that, that God has put her where she is right now. Even though it's nerve-wracking, it's, there's a peace and a worship knowing that you are where God wants you to be. You may not, as the, worship, uh, the video says, I'm not sure what's going to happen tomorrow, but if you know where, that you are where God wants you to be, there's a sense of peace that comes over you, and at that time you begin to worship because you know that, man, you're listening to God, you're doing what God calls you to do. There's a few examples in the, in the Bible that we're going to look at real quickly this morning of how that happens. Now, when G, uh, Peter and John were going to the temple right after uh, Pentecost, and they were getting up to worship, and there was a beggar out front and they were you know beggar asked for money and peter and john says i don't have any money and, and the verse goes like this uh acts 3 6 8 6 through 8 silver or gold i do not have but what i have i give you in the name of jesus christ of nazareth walk taking him by the right hand he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong he jumped to his feet and began to walk and then he went with them into the temple courts what was he doing as a recipient of God's blessing. Walking, jumping, praising God. How many of us really notice when God works in our life and the result of that is worship? We worship God when we see God doing something for us. When Peter and Jesus were walking on the water, and you know, that, all that story, uh, Matthew 14, 32 says, when they climbed back into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Again, they saw something that God did in their midst. When Jesus told the disciples to go out, they would have been out all night. He says, go back out and cast your nets on the other side of your boat, and you'll catch fish. Now, you know, the guys were like, that's crazy, but okay, we'll do it. And Luke 5 says, Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. And what was the response? When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees in an act of worship. But he said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. I think one of the responses of worship that we have is we realize how unworthy we are to be in God's presence. And when we humble ourselves before God, that's the kind of worship that God accepts. And then the story of Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal. He calls them all up and says, okay, we're gonna have a contest here. 
you guys call on your God, we'll call on our God. Whoever burns up the stuff here, he's the one who's God. And so the Baal prophets, they start jumping around and yelling and screaming and cutting themselves and nothing happens. And Elijah says, okay, you done? All right, my turn. And in 1 Kings 18, after he did that, it says, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven, burned up the young bull, the wood. Now here's what got me, the stones. How many have ever seen fire so hot that it burns up stone? Not me. But the fire was so hot it burned up the stones in front of them and, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the ditch. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces. And what happened? They cried out, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. They realized that he was truly God and they started worshiping him. But for them, it was a little bit too late. We know what happened to those guys. Now, how does this kind of tie in to Palm Sunday. And I was trying to figure out this week, how, you know, worship, Palm Sunday, which way do I go? And I realized that they kind of dovetail together. Now we're gonna go down two, two tangents today. One is the worship aspect of Palm Sunday and then we're gonna talk specifically about Palm Sunday itself. When Jesus was entering Jerusalem, he was gonna do something as the video said that he had not allowed up to this point. He did not allow any public recognition or honor or even telling others about what he had done. So when he was now going to ride in on the donkey, that was all going to change. Any public display or demonstration in his honor was forbidden up to this point. But now he was going to make a public display. He was going to demonstrate to the people the honor he was due. Now, today we think of donkeys as insignificant right but in Jesus time and even in the Old Testament donkeys were the mode of travel for kings and rulers and people in high positions if you had a donkey and you rode on it you were something you were somebody important and so when Jesus was entering on the donkey they realized that what he was symbolizing to them I'm your king I am the king of Israel I'm the Messiah by riding in on a donkey the same thing that David would have done or any of the other kings, he was showing the people that yes, I'm finally accepting the position of king. I am your king. Now, what was the response of the people when he walked in? Remember our definition. Worship is a response of man when he encounters God or God's actions. So after he gets the, the donkey or the colt, Luke 19 says, they brought it to Jesus, threw their coats on the cloak and put Jesus on it. As they went along, people spread their cloaks on the ground. When he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices. I'll stop right there for a second. Why were they doing that? Well, the rest of the verse says, for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They were not only acknowledging all the things that Jesus had done in the form of miracles, they were also honoring his presence. Their reaction to Jesus' presence. It wasn't a miracle he was doing then. His mere presence sparked worship in the people. And because of that, they remembered what had been done in his life. What is our reaction to being in God's presence? Jamie said it. God's presence is here, right? God's presence is here. When we hear about God working in people's lives, in other words, testimonies, 
what is our reaction to that? Our reaction to anything that God does should be worship. Lord, we, we thank you for that, Lord. Simply being in God's house and around God's people and in God's presence should bring about in us an attitude of worship. Now remember in Acts 2-1 when we, st- we went back there a few months ago, what happened in the upper room? Acts 2-1 says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. It didn't fill the people first. What did it do? It filled the whole house where they were sitting. I believe we can sense the presence of God in a building that we're walking into. If we're coming into God's house to worship him, how many know that God doesn't have to wait till we get here to be here, right? So God's presence can fill this place in anticipation of the worship that we're gonna offer. Now, I think I shared this story before. When I worked in Pittsburgh, I would go into a college at the time was called Carnegie Mellon. Still called Carnegie Mellon, but an engineering school, dramatic school, but it's very anti-Christian from what I know. And I remember walking in there as one of my clients and I just felt this, this oppression when I walked into the campus. Never felt it since, never felt it before, but I felt this, this, this evil presence when I walked on the campus. And I believe if you can feel that with the enemy, how much more should you sense God's presence in a place where God is gonna accept worship from his people? Now, look at the book of Corinthians. When, we, when visitors see the power of God, when they see worship, and what God does, what happens to them? 1 Corinthians 14, 24 says, but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he's a sinner and will be judged by all. And the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. What's the response of someone that comes in and senses God's presence? He will fall down and worship God and saying God is truly among you. If that's what happens to people who don't know Christ yet, how much more should we walk into God's house and sense his presence and just be ready to worship as soon as we walk in? Whenever Jesus enters the picture, like he did on Palm Sunday, the people's reaction was instantly to worship, to praise him, to worship him. When we walk into God's house, is our instant reaction one of worship? Do we want to worship God? we want to spend time worshiping God, telling God, how much we love and appreciate him just by his mere presence. Think about, and you know, as Christians, we sometimes forget about these, these things. Remember who God is, the creator of the universe. Everything that is was created by, the Bible says, by Christ. Someone that magnificent, he's eternal, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere at one time, and yet he chooses to be here. He could choose not to be here, but he chooses to be here. He chooses to be amongst us. And when we walk in, we should just have an, a gratitude, an attitude of gratitude and worship. Imagine, if you will, some famous celebrity who decides to just visit our church on Sunday morning. I mean, he's famous, he's got an entourage, and, he's all, and he decides that he's gonna stop here. We'd fill this place up, right? I mean, everybody would wanna come see this guy. That's how we should be when we come into God's house because God is here. God is here 
There's an old song, a Christian song. It was called, I Miss My Time With You. How many remember that song from a couple of decades ago? The premise of the song was Jesus was saying that he's sitting on the edge of this guy's bed and the guy hasn't prayed for a while and he says, you know what, dude, I miss my time with you. You you told me you get up and you spend time with me and you're not doing it. I miss my time with you. And when we come into God's presence, God's waiting for us to worship. He's waiting for our response to his presence. How many realize that God is better to you than we deserve him to be? Right? Think about your life throughout the week. Is God really, are you really worthy of God's presence? I'm going to say no. But yet God comes down, not because of us, but because of Christ. You remember all the things that God has done for you, maybe in the past week, month, year. How many blessings can you go back and count in your life of how God has intervened? Or do we focus on the things that maybe we don't have? Do we really spend time looking at your life and all the things that God has done up to this point right now? And it may not be perfect things, but God's brought you through a lot to where you are right now. And that simple fact should cause us to worship. And that's exactly what was happening with the people in Jerusalem as he walked in. They sensed his presence. They realized who he was. He was Messiah. And their instant reaction was to worship. The first thing they did was worship. Now, that was the worship aspect of Palm Sunday. The second tangent is we're going to talk about just what was happening during Palm Sunday. Why was all this happening? And what was going on? Luke 19, 36 We'll start back there again. It says, Then the crowd spread out their coats on the road ahead of him. As they reached the place where the road started down from the Mount of Olives, all his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Bless the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Remember that phrase. Bless the king. So first thing we have is Jesus riding on a donkey. Again, first time for him to publicly exclaim to the crowds to accept him as Messiah, to acknowledge his presence, to acknowledge who he was to the masses. And he used the donkey as a symbol to illustrate that he's their king. He's Israel's king. And the donkey itself, riding the donkey, was a direct fulfillment of Zechariah 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. Gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Since he was deliberately fulfilling that prophecy, the people of Israel knew, I'm sure would have known that prophecy about their Messiah. They realized he is fulfilling that right now. And in Mark's account, if you read Mark's account, he adds the word Hosanna. Now the word Hosanna literally means save now. So when they say having salvation... They're basically saying, save now. Say, do it right now, Jesus. We know you came to save. Do it right now. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. We don't wait till next week. We don't wait till Easter. We don't wait for Christmas. We wait for today. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. You know, every day you read something in the paper of an unexpected death or accident or tragedy where someone dies who you never thought. The question is, are we prepared for that? Are we ready for that? Today is a day of salvation. And how many realize there was a distinct purpose to Palm Sunday? 
There was a purpose for Jesus doing this. He could have done all the rest without doing this. Why did he have to ride in and announce himself? The reason he did that, he had to challenge the religious leaders of that day. He had to get their attention. He had to get in their face about who he was. Why would he do that? Why would he have to be so confrontational at this point? Well, because he knew what they were planning. Luke 19, 39 says this. Now, they, he knew this, this would be the response of people. He says, but some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Well, you know, that's been going on for the past three years for him. So it was no big deal for him for them to rebuke him. The people wanted, to, the religious leaders wanted to calm the crowd down. They didn't want to make a big deal about it. They wanted to kind of silence him, let this parade go on without any recognition. They didn't want to arrest him. They didn't want to do anything to him at this moment. They already had plans for what they're going to do later. Mark 20, or Matthew 26 says this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover celebration begins in two days, and I, the Son of Man, will be betrayed and crucified. At that time, the leading priests and other leaders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, to discuss how to capture Jesus secretly and put him to death. They wanted this to be totally out of the public view. They didn't want anyone to put any kind of a, a fuss up for this. And look at verse 5, says, but not during the Passover, or there's going to be a riot. Jesus rode in on a donkey because he had to make sure that he challenged them to the point where they couldn't ignore him and they had to do it on Passover, even though they didn't want to. Why? Because he is the Passover lamb. He is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. He had to be done, it had to be done on Passover as God had already planned it, and he had to get in their face to make them do it. Otherwise, they were going to do it on the slide. No one saw it. It wouldn't be Passover. So he pushed them to the point where they couldn't ignore it. And he made them act. How many realize that no matter what you plan, you can't stop what God's going to do? God has a plan. He is going to fulfill that purpose. And there's nothing we can do to stop it. We may skirt around it. We may get around it a couple of days. But God is going to fulfill what he wants to do when he wants to do it. Now, we call this the triumphal entry. This is the event that actually sped up the crucifixion. Last, the Holy Week was coming. You know, I, I wouldn't call it a triumphant week because, you know, except for the fact that he had a parade, the rest of the week was kind of tough for him. But there's a reason we call it that. Because it was God's triumph over the enemy and God's triumph over what man had planned. God's plan was going to eventually come true. Now, I did a little research on this, and it says that the Romans had these triumphal entries. They had these parades after a big campaign. And to, to warrant such a parade where there was, you know, a triumph, for, they called it a triumph for the, the generals, the general actually had to have killed 5,000 of the enemy troops. Once you hit 5,000, you were worthy of that triumphal parade. Now, Jesus' entry was a spiritual victory, right? Not a physical victory. He was the victor. He was the victor over love, of love over hate. He was the victor of truth over error. And he was the victor of life over death. 
And in a few weeks, what was going to happen? I thought this was pretty cool. To be a Roman commander, you had to kill 5,000 people. And in a few weeks, what would happen with Jesus? Acts 4, 4 says, But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to what? 5,000. So he had the triumphal entry. And when the ride was over, he looked into the temple area. Mark 11, 11 says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. This was the beginning of what we call Holy Week. It starts tomorrow. And actually, I have, if my ushers can help me here, back by the table where Brad is right now, I was able to find this online. This is a, a chronological, chronological event of things that happened during Holy Week from the time he rode, rode in Jerusalem all the way through the crucifixion. You don't realize how much happened in just one week. But all of it was challenging him and most of it was trying to actually not get him to go to the cross. The enemy didn't want him to go to the cross because they knew what was going to happen. We look at Palm Sunday and we see a victory and we, and we see it as a celebration to a degree. God's plan was coming together. But it was going to be the worst week imaginable. We've been, we've been doing a, a lesson on Wednesday night called The Case for Faith. If you haven't joined us, it's a, it's a great lesson. It's, it's basically talking about the eight or ten most questioned things that unbelievers have as well as Christians. And the first topic is, if there is such evil and suffering in the world, how come God doesn't intervene? Why, you know, there's no God if all this happens. And one of the, the paragraphs in the book that we're reading is it talks about man's definition of, of bad, of, you know, of evil. And the, the author gives this example. He says, you know, we look at things from the human perspective and we say something is, is evil or bad or suffering, and we consider that totally to be a bad thing. He says, but look what happened on Good Friday. Something that the world classified as horrible and suffering was actually brought about to bring something that was actually beautiful. The suffering that Jesus did in and of itself was horrible, but the suffering wasn't all there was to it. The suffering brought about salvation. And we never know about whatever we may suffer in our life, where it may bring us to at some point. Imagine if you were facing the upcoming week that Jesus experienced. Think you might spend a little bit more time in prayer? Think you might want to get out of it? Jesus did, right? Lord, if it's your will, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, your will be done. Now, circling back around to worship, and we're going to close in a moment with this. Palm Sunday should be a call for us to worship. Remember our definition. Worship is the response of man when he encounters God or what God has done, God's actions. Every one of us here has experienced God in, in some way. 
whether it's because of your salvation, maybe it's a miracle God's done for you, or healing, a miraculous provision or intervention, whatever God's done for you. People in, in Palm, on Palm Sunday, Jesus wasn't doing a miracle at that time. They were remembering things he had done up to that time. And that caused them to worship. So when we come into God's house, God's presence should be a reason for us to worship and it should also trigger in our minds all the things that God has done for us up to this point. Whether it's five years ago, 10 years ago, 100 years ago, what has God done for you? That should be, in and of itself, a reason to worship. When Jesus encountered and suffered during Holy Week, what he did should have no other effect than calling us out for what he endured for us. We know what's coming this week for Jesus. We know the suffering and the pain and the sorrow that he is going to receive because of us so that we could be here today. That event of itself, Palm Sunday, should be a, an instant call to worship. Now I've asked the worship team if they'll come on on the platform again. There's a song out there called Hosanna. We've sung it before. We know the song. But I want us to, as we sing the song Hosanna, remember what the word means. Save now. Save now. So when we sing these, this song, I want us to focus on what God's done for you and then realize that God has already saved you. God's already blessed you. And this song should call us to an attitude of worship. Go ahead and stand so we can sing this song. <clears throat> I let the praise team know that we were going to be doing it this week, and Lee sends a message that says, save us, to me. And I was like, Hosanna means save now, right? So it's pretty, pretty cool. Um, she said she'd been thinking about it, this song, and what it means, and just let it minister to your heart and, and sing it for God.
Father, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for bringing us into your kingdom. We thank you for looking down upon our lives, opening up our spirits to the truth so we can have a relationship with the God of the universe through the sacrifice of Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship You go to church, you know about Jesus, but you don't have a relationship with him. On Palm Sunday, Jesus acknowledged to the crowds who he was. And every Sunday, we acknowledge to ourselves and to the church who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. He's our King. He is the one who saves now. If you don't know Christ, The reason you're here is because you need to be introduced to Jesus. And you need to accept what he's offered. It's a free gift. The Bible says we've all sinned, we all fall short of God's glory, we're all worthy of judgment. But Jesus came down to take that punishment for us. As we celebrate on resurrection weekend, we realize that Jesus took my punishment. Jesus took your punishment. And all you have to do is accept that as payment for your sin. Jesus becomes your Savior. The Bible says you believe in, your mouth, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So if you're here and you want to do that this morning, I want you to raise your hand right now. Lord, we thank you for working in our lives. We thank you, Jesus, for the presence of God in every service we have. We thank you for your presence in our lives. No matter where we go, Lord, you're already there. We thank you for that presence, and Lord, we worship you for who you are. We worship you as our King, as our Savior, and we gladly exalt you.
because you are worthy. And as we worship you, Lord, we know that you will fill us with all that we need to be successful. We know that, God, you will use us, you will bless us. As Keith said, you inhabit the praises of your people. You're here when we praise you. Not only are you here, you're in the praises that we sing. So, Lord, I pray your blessings upon each one of us as we leave today. Help us to leave with the knowledge of all that you have done for us to where we are today, Lord, all the blessings you've poured upon us. And most of all, thank you for saving us, for giving us of our sins. Bless us as we leave. Bless the kids as they enjoy themselves this afternoon. Thank you for allowing the weather to be good today for them. But Lord, we honor you in all that we do. And it's in Jesus' name we ask. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you see Donna, thank her because she's the one to put all the eggs together for the kids. I mean, thank her or yell at her because it's full of candy for your kids. So the dentists are going to love you this week.